Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A word of warning. This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hi fam, I'm just coming in at the top of this episode to reintroduce episode 17 with the amazing Zoe. Now Zoe and I caught up a couple of weeks ago and we've recorded a new episode which we'll be releasing tomorrow. So I thought we better just repost episode 17 so those of you who haven't listened to it yet can understand a little bit more about Zoe's background and her story. On to the episode. Awesome. Um, (laughs) Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by a wonderful woman, Zoe. Welcome Zoe. Hey, so happy to have you on. Thanks so much. I'm excited to have you here. Um, Now, Zoe, can you give me a bit of a background into you? We actually don't really know each other very well, um, but we do have some weird connections through through the, I don't know, the suburbs, through the people that we know, through all of those different types of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm 27. Um, I have been born and raised in Melbourne, lived here my whole life. Uh, I come from a Greek immigrant family, um, who migrated over here, uh, in the middle of World War II, um, which is really important for me to mention because heritage is, is a big thing for me. Um, I am a very proud person and I think, um, you know, when I saw that you were, that you made a podcast and that you were posting um, about, you know, your story and other women's stories, I just found that so empowering because obviously this conversation is taboo for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, when I saw that, you know, and I knew that we were from the same area and I, I have to admit, like I had heard things about your story and stuff, but I listened to your podcast and it's interesting how, you know, the conversations that you have with people are never quite the truth. So I think for me, it was really important to hear that because it made me feel like, well, 
you know, it, it's time for me to share what happened to me and not have it be a conversation with other people, have it come from my own mouth, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think that's the whole purpose of this. Reclaim Me is I created because I wanted to give the survivors back their voices. And whether it's through the media telling of a story. So, you know, I always go back to the fact that everybody knows who's I've, knows who Ivan Malad is. Nobody knows the names of his victims. And we're hearing about these crimes through the lenses of professionals and through the lenses of, you know, other people who are involved. They're not listening to, we don't get an insight into the victims of the victimology. And I think an incredible thing that we can do to change the conversation and to educate people and to empower people to know that they aren't alone is to give survivors back their voices and to tell the actual story you know, like you just said, there were so many things about my story that went around that were not true. Yeah. And, you know, it's that whole, um, you tell one story to one end of the classroom and by the time it gets to the other end that there's a whole yeah. different story being told. So, you know, it's a nice place to come and go, this is actually it in a concise way. This is my story yeah. from your mouth. That's the power to you. And I, I really like that I've been able to give that to you in some way where you can turn around and go, fuck it, I'm going to do it. I'm empowered. Yeah, and I think that's, that's you know, one thing that I think is so amazing about you is the fact that you were able to share something so horrific and shitty that happened to you, but you've done it in this way that's made other women feel empowered to do the same thing. And I think, you know, thank you for doing that because I may have considered sharing my story at some point in my life eventually, but I think you know, it probably wouldn't have been with this kind of platform. And the fact that you're giving people a platform and it's not just a conversation that you have with a friend, it's something that other people can listen to is huge. So yeah, yeah, thanks. Oh, thank you. It's so nice. And I think, you know, we're creating a bit of a community. So it almost is like you're speaking to your friends, your friends are kind of listening to this and relating to it. Um, And I think that's a really cool thing. Um, Yeah, definitely. I love women. You know, if we could, no, I'm not, just kidding. <laughs> Me too, sis. I love it. <laughs> We're going to anyway. build a matriarchy. Oh, God, so many comments. Damn come right. Fuck <laughs> oh, the patriarchy. It's all about the matriarchy. <laughs> absolutely coming in hot queens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well, um, another thing that really made me want to get on and share my story was after it happened to me, I was having so many conversations with women around me about what had happened and it sort of I think didn't click with them initially about things that might have happened to them that could have been considered assault or rape and then after having these conversations over and over and you know trying to create awareness just amongst my friends about you know this is what it can look like and it doesn't look like what you might see on SVU or like it might look some you know it might look like the 15 year old you that went to a party and got drunk and I think, you know, there were so many women in my life that turned around to me and said, hey, actually, this happened to me and now I'm kind of questioning whether it was okay and it was or wasn't it okay. And, you know, it's it's a scary amount of women that this happens to. So, you know, I think c- coming to that realisation that it's not just me, it's not a you know, just a thing that happened to me. It's a thing that happens to 50% of women around the world. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's insane to me. So yeah, yeah, I think that was one of the things that really pushed me 
to want to share as well because if it helps one other young person who is maybe questioning a situation that they were in and isn't sure about, you know, their rights or where they stand or how they should feel about it, hopefully they can listen to this and to all the other survivors that have been on this podcast and go, actually, that was really fucked up and it's not okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's right. I mean, there are so many people even that just go, mine's not bad enough to join a support group. Everybody else's is worse. And I think Mm -hmm. it's not a comparison. You know, there is no comparison in this. And if you've ever been um, traumatized, if you've ever been a victim of a sexual harassment, uh, you know, indecent sexual touching, maybe not a sexual assault Mm -hmm. per se, that's still traumatic. That's still crossing a boundary. And you're within every right to come and join those networks and and communicate with other people. So you're definitely right. Do you want to share a little bit about your story? Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm probably going to ramble a little bit, but I, it, it was, uh, I went to, so I was with a group of girlfriends and we decided, you know, at 20, we're going to go overseas and have the big Euro trip, that amazing, you know, six month long trip that all of us want to do in our early twenties. And, um, my, I probably wasn't feeling great about myself to begin with prior to going, you know, you're in that tumultuous time where you don't know who you are and what you want and the kind of person that you're going to be and we're all learning and still are so set off on this awesome you know euro adventure with three um friends at the time and we actually went to my hometown where my uh grandmother's from uh in Greece and um we were having just, you know, the best time ever and nothing had gone wrong and everything was great. And then the four of us were getting ready to go out and we'd all decided that we were going to go out and party. Um, And one of the girls decided that she would just wanted to hang back. And then the other one decided she wanted to hang back. So it ended up just being the two of us. And we went out onto this main strip in Greece, which is, you know, there's people everywhere, people from thousands of different countries you know because it's a bit of party island um and we went and we were in this bar and we're dancing we're having the best time we're drunk loving our lives and then um we both saw this bartender and he was so gorgeous like we were both totally starstruck he was tall and blonde and had these big blue eyes and he was just that definition of you know model when you're 20 and we were like oh my god he's so hot and then this we were actually hanging out with this man that we hadn't met either um before but he ended up hooking up with my friend and so we were all just you know having a great time yeah um anyway went to the bar and uh the bar that person the blonde guy served me and um poured us both a drink and then maybe like 30 minutes later we started to feel a little bit different, but we didn't think that even looking back now, I'm like, mm, did he spike a drink? Did he not spike the drink? But we we sort of both said to each other, and I remember saying, you know, do you feel weird? And she was kind of saying, yeah, I feel a little bit odd, but, you know, not, we weren't overly drunk. It was just a different feeling to being drunk. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you might so be yeah. able to tell there's a bit of a different feeling here. Yeah. Like, you're not just tipsy. We all know that, you know, tipsy, getting yeah. a bit drunk feeling. This felt a little off to you. Yeah, it just felt different. So then yeah. anyway, so we continued partying though. And um, I remember I was standing up on a table 
and as you do in Greece when you drink. <laughs> and I was dancing and the bartender that we were both in love with um, like motioned for me to come over. And I was so shocked because there were all these gorgeous women in the room and I was like, oh, my God, he's picked me. Like he wants to talk to me. Shocked. was wrapped though. Walk over there and this is where I kind of don't really remember much. So we must have talked. There must have been a conversation. Somehow it was decided that I was going back to his house and in because he was working in Greece, I assume, because he was from the Netherlands. And then my friend was going to go with the guy that she had met and go off and I was going to go to his house. This was unusual for us because we always stuck together anyway. So it was weird that both of us made this decision to split because we were very, for the entire trip, you know, if one goes, we all go or you know, we go back to the same place always. We don't leave and sort yeah. of break off. Yeah. Um, especially because you're in a foreign country and you're a female. Um, but anyway, we made that decision and I went back to this guy's house and I actually don't know his name. Um, and his, I remember walking in and his housemate was there who was also from the Netherlands and he was lying on his bed with headphones on watching something on TV on his laptop. And we sort of said hello and then I don't remember anything. Then come to and I'm in the shower and he was, he had my hands up on the wall of the shower, so the glass pane on the shower, and he was basically forcing me to give him oral sex and I remember not quite knowing if I had consented to that prior to this happening, but I knew that even if I had, I was too drunk for it to be, you know, for it to be consent. So I sort of tried to pull my head back and I hit the glass pane and I said, stop, 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 stop. And he basically said something in, I think it was Swedish and just kept going Anyway, he then came in at my mouth, which was revolting. Oh, my god! And he, I don't, then I, I've blacked out again and I don't remember what happened. The next thing I remember, I'm lying in bed with him and I'm completely naked and he's completely, oh, he's got underwear on, I think. And then he basically, he had me sort of like, very close to him and I remember feeling like I needed to get up I just wanted to go but I I think I was so shocked and just a bit taken aback at what had happened and I couldn't piece together what was going on so I was just kind of lying there looking at the ceiling and then he said to me I remember so clearly he rolled around to me and he said you can go now and I was like okay So I quickly just scrambled through together my clothes. You know, it was like he let go of me and I was like, all right, yep, getting my clothes together. And it was about 5.30 in the morning, maybe 6 a.m. So the sun was coming up and I got up, went to open the door and his housemate came up behind me and said, I'll walk you to a taxi. And this was so shocking to me because I was like, 
are you, I, I sort of looked at him like, are you fucking kidding? You'll walk me to a taxi. Is this supposed to be your gentleman thing? You know, well, your friend's just gone and done that. And I sort of remember thinking, you know, is this a thing that you two do? Does he do this? And then you lie there and pretend like you don't know what's happening. And then because you've got some sort of guilt about it, you try and make up for it by being the good guy later. Yeah. And so he walked. Well, he's heard something or something and he's just gone, yeah. oh, I, it's not my place, but I'll, I'll try not and help place. her. Yeah. yeah, but I'll try and be a good guy eventually. Yeah. And then so I, I got up and then I sort of, went down, got the taxi, sat in the back of the cab. And I still to this day don't really know how I knew where to say I was going because I don't know if I knew the address of where we're staying, but I must have because we got home and then my friends were all there. They were all asleep and I got in the shower and I remember just scrubbing, like scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. And I was, you know, like my skin was bleeding and I was just trying so hard to get rid of any sort of smell or just anything off me. And then I got out of the shower and I was brushing my teeth and my gums were just bleeding. And I was just, you know, overly scrubbing my mouth because I had this disgusting, like metallic, awful taste in my mouth. And I just thought if I don't get it out, then you know, I'm, I'm, this is going to be it forever. You know, I had this mentality, like if it, if it doesn't get out of me, then he'll be in me forever. And then, you know, whatever. And when all my friends woke up, so I went to bed and put in my headphones because I, you know, just didn't want to think about anything. And I sort of woke up when I woke up, it was like maybe 12 o'clock. And I kind of thought maybe it's a dream. Maybe I didn't, did this really happen? I mean, have I just sort of tricked myself into thinking that this happened? Yeah. But then my mouth was so sore and my jaw was like in agony and I thought, mm, that's not quite right. And then so I sort of got up and then all the girls were talking and we were leaving that day to go to another Greek island and everyone's, you know, talking in a good mood and I sort of just couldn't, I couldn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. And they were all like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was, you know, sort of, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And I went downstairs um, and I rang a girlfriend and I just burst into tears and she goes, oh my God, what the fuck has happened to you? What's wrong? And I was like, I just can't explain it. I can't explain to you. I can't tell you. I don't know what, I don't know what to say. And she sort of, you know, calmed me down. She said to me, you know, what happened? And I explained to her very briefly what had gone on. And she said, fuck, come home. Like, come home, Zoe, or call the cops or do something. And I was like, I can't call the police because I'm in a foreign country. I don't know who this person is. I don't know where I was. I mean, what am I going to do? Go through the legal system in Greece. It's just, you know, and to be fair, their legal system is more backward than ours when it comes to rape and sexual assault. So, you know, I was like, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. So I remember not talking for a solid 24 hours. I was basically catatonic and I didn't really know what I was supposed to say. And then we were on a boat on the way, you know, to Greece and stuff. And I was trying really hard not to be, you know, weird. But I remember one of the girls came up to me and, you know, I was sitting on top of the boat by myself and she said, what happened? Are you okay? And I sort of 
said, you know, I think I was assaulted. And she was like, well, why do you say that? And then I sort of said, you know, well, I think this happened and it's all really blurry though and blah, blah, blah. And she kind of, I don't know if she meant to, but she kind of made me feel like maybe I had made it up and maybe I had sort of thought that it was something that it wasn't. And this person and I are no longer friends and she also, um, we had quite a few fights on this trip, but she would say to me, you know, everyone knows you're a liar. Everyone knows that you're an outward liar about other things, not specific to that. But, you know, everyone knows you make shit up. We all know that you're a liar. So her saying these things and then this happening made me feel like maybe I am lying about it, which was weird to me because I don't know why I would, but it just I couldn't put reality and how I felt about it in the same, yeah, I don't know, in the same conscious thought, I guess. And so... I remember I kind of palmed it off and put it to, I was seeing this guy at the time or before I left. um, And I think I, you know, had all these mad feels for him before I left. And I thought, you know, oh my God, he's the one, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, Oh, mute us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like 20 year old, 20 year old us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I sort of, you know, it was in my feels about that. And I think I remember palming it off and being like, the reason I'm so upset is because you're in love with him, but you can't be with him. Instead of thinking about what had happened to me, I sort of just pushed it away and went actually find another thing to focus on that makes you upset that you can be upset about, but it doesn't have to be this. And I remember like a month later, we were going to, um, this festival in England and, all the girls like, oh, my God, can't wait to hook up, can't wait to fuck a guy, like, this is going to be awesome. And I was, like, immediately went internal and was like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. I don't want don't, to fuck touch anyone, like, yuck. So, I, you know, as girls do when we are getting ready to have sex, might shave your pubes, might, you know, do a little shower and stuff. I did none of that. I was like, I'm going full on rustic natural shit no one's going to touch me if I have pubes everywhere so I don't fucking care you know this was like my mental process yeah and then when I was there I met this guy and I slept with him right yeah and I remember feeling absolutely nothing towards it at all I just felt nothing I didn't feel happy I didn't feel sad I didn't feel yuck I just felt like it was nothing. It was like robotic. You have sex. This is what you do now. This is how you fuck basically. And then I didn't sleep with anyone else for the rest of the trip. And I think it took me, I, I so I met my partner when I was over there as well, um, which obviously I didn't know he was going to be my partner at the time, but Um, yeah, we ended up meeting. We've been together for seven years now. So it came off the back of something like majorly traumatic. But I didn't start to feel anything until three years later when it all started to be every, it started to filter into everything. Every, like everyday life became harder. Things going out became scarier like talking to men that I didn't know became this whole anxiety feeling, oh, my God, I need to get the fuck out of here. And even, you know, being in a bar with crowded people and they would brush up against you, I would just be in panic, like, yeah, nah, 
that's it. It's 12 o'clock. I'm done. I got to go. And I don't think I realized what that was until, yeah, until that happened. But yeah, that's my little story. So it's just, it's really, that's fucking horrible. I mean, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It is so disgusting that people do this that it is so bad and you know I I've spoken to other people who have been assaulted overseas and they don't know their perpetrator and the sad thing is that the Australian police cannot assist with that they can't you know if you did know the perpetrator and this happened in a foreign country then the police might be able to assist you Victorian police might be able to assist you but because the subject is unknown and in your case the subject or the perpetrator is from another foreign country, the chances of finding this guy are minuscule, plus you're dealing with so many jurisdictions of law. So it just adds so much complexity to the issue. Said, you know, I knew when it happened that I was never going to get justice for it. I knew that. Yeah, you knew that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, what you said as well about your friends, um, you know, and and our own experiences when we go through this, like we've all been groomed to and taught from kids that, you know, sexual assault is a vaginal penetration and it happens in a dark alley and it happens at night and it's a stranger that does it. It's not a good-looking person. They're never good-looking. They're usually not white, the people that do it. They're monsters. And this is why I have a problem with characterising, you know, people as monsters because... Mm. People who are very good looking can perpetrate crimes. And this is, you know, it doesn't mean, it's just the way that we characterize it in our minds. It's not only the victim that goes through this, it's the friends and the family around them. So what, that guy, the hot guy, the blonde guy from last night? No, he wouldn't do anything like that. You're like, what? Are you believing him over you're believing me because he's good looking? what we have created is a system of gaslighting. So Mm. you're gaslighting yourself. You're saying, I know of other people who have been abused that's worse than mine. Therefore, mine isn't as bad. Or maybe this is the way that I feel. And you've created a different reality in your mind because you're gaslighting yourself. And then you've Mm -hmm. got the other layer of your friends saying this to you as well, making you second guess your reality. So you've started to create different realities now like you said you've created a form where you go maybe it's because this guy maybe I'm upset because I think that I feel like I cheated on this guy or because I can't be with him or you know and it's because your sense of reality has changed because it's not been validated and I think that's horrible and terrifying it is definitely and I I think as well you know when you're in a foreign country and you're you don't feel like the people that you're with, you can discuss those things with in detail and they will support you in that. It sort of is even more isolating. And, you know, I wasn't going to call my mum and say, hey, mum, this happened to me because she would have panicked and she would have said, get on a flight home right now or I'm coming over there. And it would have been a thing. And I didn't want to go home. I was having fun, you know, up until that point. And I did have fun afterward. But I think, yeah, it, it was this, I think for me, the biggest thing was all women think it's never going to happen to me. It doesn't happen to girls like me. It happens to girls who are stupid or girls who don't think when they go out or girls who don't, you know, get too drunk or, you know, um, it happens when you're alone at night or whatever these things are. But I think 
it was such an eye opener for me because I was young. I was 20. I was, you know, from a very middle class, like extremely privileged background. And I thought that those things don't happen to girls like me. Yeah. And when I, when obviously I dealt with all that trauma and, you know, I went to a, um, uh, I went to Casa, which is the center against sexual assault and spoke to a counselor there, which by the way, I will say is fucking bullshit because you only get 10 sessions and that's it. And then you have to start paying for that shit. 10 sessions is not enough to deal with fucking trauma. Like, I need a lifetime to deal with all of that and unpack it. And it still filters into everyday life. It doesn't as much now because I've dealt with a lot of it. And I feel, you know, I don't feel like a victim. I feel much more like a survivor, a hundred percent. But I think the Australian government and obviously, you know, everything that we've seen in the media lately, all those things that have come out about, you know, what's happening in parliament, it just, to me, reflects so much about what how little they understand about women and how little they understand about women's experiences and even in a first world country like Australia where we're so privileged and it's so great and we're so lucky we still have to deal with this shit yeah well the system's a patriarchy and that's why we're not you know um and I I think I can link you in with some resources but the sad thing is that you know, you're, you're right. Um, through the Family Violence Royal Commission, um, VOCAT claims um, can be made. Um, and you can make a VOCAT claim basically without a conviction of somebody, but it is basically an evidential hearing. But the the burden of proof is much lower than a criminal case. So if hmm. you can kind of prove and go and show somebody that this happened, then you can get compensation that could help you as a victim of crime. Yeah. But it is adding to that trauma that you have to go through as well. So it's another hurdle, another thing that you have to jump through. Is it worth it? Um, you know, that's for and each also, person to weigh up. Exactly. And also, like, why is it still that the burden of proof lies with the victim? Because why do I have to prove that it happened to me? You should be proving that the burden of proof shouldn't be on me. I shouldn't have to say this happened to me and then I have to justify or give reason as to how or why this happened. It's fucking 2021. Like I should be able to come out and say as a proud woman, I am fucking, I'm a victim and a survivor of sexual assault. And it shouldn't be a question of, but is she, do we believe her? It should just be a thing where we go fuck. All right. Like, why would you say anything? Exactly. And if you can't help, you know, I'm I'm never going to get justice for what happened to me. It's not going to happen. But I think my justice comes in, you know, having other people around me recognize and understand how their actions impact everything and you know the men in my life the words that they say how that impacts people like me and I think the most important thing for me has been you know as I got stronger and older and I became so much more more sure of myself was you know I I can't let other people say things anymore that make me uncomfortable and make other women feel uncomfortable and it's so important to start having these conversations with the men around you. And, you know, these jokes that we used to make when we were 18 are not jokes 
and they are not funny and we are not okay with them anymore. And I will not stand back and let those, you know, those comments be made about women. And, you know, I was even listening to someone the other day and they were saying, I fucked your mum the other night. And I just thought, A, how immature of you because it's fucking ridiculous. I mean, you're a 30-year-old man and you say comments like this. It's, It's disgusting. And two, do you actually understand what you're saying and who you're saying that in front of? Because if that mum was standing in front of you, would you say that? Would you say that to her? I fucked you last night. Of course you wouldn't. Mm. It's just these hidden comments that men think that they're still able to make. And unfortunately, it's those kind of comments that lead to things like what happened to me, what happened to you. It's that kind of power that men think that they have over women that I think for me has been the biggest eye opener since I was assaulted. Like, yeah, I just thought they were jokes. I, yeah. I didn't think that impact. And we're a product of our environments and socially, economically, you know, of these things. There are, I have learned so much in the last few years. There are things that I used to say, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. a part of the patriarchy, you know, we're both white women. We privilege off, we're privileged off this system as well, more than other people are. And I think as a part of growing and learning, I've identified that. There are things I've reposted and written on my Facebook page. You know how those um, yeah. memories come up from 10 years ago yeah. and I'm like, oh, my, oh, my gosh. I cannot oh. believe some of the things I used to think were okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is a learning journey and I am happy to have conversations with people, but yeah. there is no place for some of these derogatory conversations. And it's those patterns that you consistently see with men and they're like, oh, but it's not aimed at you and I'm a good man. Fuck off. Job. It's just yeah. a joke. Well, it's made me feel uncomfortable. Oh, you're a snowflake then. Okay. You know, yeah. I said to a guy the other day, he's like, I'm just not going to acknowledge pronouns. And I'd seen a comedy skit on this and I was just like, okay, that's fine. Um, And I just replicated the comedy skit and I was just like, okay, it's nice to know, pedophile. And he was just like, how dare you? How dare you? And I was just like, well, if you, you know, names don't mean anything, do they? And I'll have to find what comedy skit it was off. But that is not my own. It was off somebody else's idea. And he was just like, what? I'm like, so, so you're saying that names do matter? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Oh, okay. No, You don't want to be called that, but you also don't want to acknowledge what other people want to be called. Yeah. Your pronoun is important, and if it's not important to you, that's okay. You can be called whatever the fuck you want, but it's yeah. important to other people. And that's that, I think, is one of the biggest things, you know, so many people think, but I'm not saying it to be hurtful. Therefore, it's not a bad thing to say. And that's okay. I understand it's not coming from a place of malice, but it's coming from a place of ignorance. And if you're not willing to learn and you're not willing to have these discussions, then you need to just stop saying things like that altogether. If yeah, you don't want to be educated, the problem. talk about it. Don't, then, don't say those things then. Yeah, but and then you're and, part of the problem. Exactly. You know? In the system that we live in, if you're not actively against, you know, if you're not actively a feminist, then you're a misogynist because Mm -hmm. you know the situation that is happening before you, you know, and it goes back to your assault, my assault. I had so many people around me, and this is where community education comes into it too, that said, oh, um, you know, thank God you weren't a child to me. You know, it would have been, you know, and I was like, He was charged with child sexual abuse. Yeah, but you're 14. You're quite developed by that point. Like you had your period. You developed quite early. 
And I had these people around me who were, who were trivializing my experience, who didn't see me as a child, who were trying to minimize the impact that it would have had on me based on my development as a 14 year old. And I know that people might not mean malice by this when they say these things. This is why I've opened my door up and said, you can talk to me. You can ask questions that you shouldn't ask. I'm happy to have conversations Mm -hmm. that could be awkward. However, that is blatantly victim blaming. And you're telling me how I need to feel in a situation that you weren't there for, that you have no experience in and no insight you know, and also, are you okay with having sex with a 14-year-old girl when you're an older man? Like, are you okay with that? Does that sit well with you? Because if it does, then there is something fucking wrong with you. Yeah. Like, there is no, there's no question. And, I, you know, that just astounds me. And even when I was listening to your podcast, the way that adults, I think that was the most shocking thing to me, that adults in your life, not your parents, but other people's friends, parents just the way that they reacted towards that is just it just doesn't make any sense and if you're afraid that you know if if Maddie comes to my house then Maddie might say that that happened to her at my house then do you not think that you should be taking a very hard look at the person you sleep next to because if you know that that person's never going to do something like that there should be no question in your mind about Maddie coming over to your house like yeah. I just, it's, it just doesn't make sense to me that adult women look at a child and think we have a tendency to protect men and this is the patriarchy. And, you know, I think what had come out of my story was that a lot of people felt like I had asked for it. Um, I was drinking, it was my fault. I'd put myself into that situation. And now this poor man is going to jail for it. You know, and I think that this is the way that some people genuinely think. And speaking like this openly about it and having these discussions is so important. Mm. Like, you know, in your situation with your story and what you're talking about, it's taken you a number of years clearly to come to terms with what's happened and to go and look inwardly and go, holy shit, this is actually what happened. And giving yourself the space to go, I was a victim of sexual assault. And to actually acknowledge that because the people around you, the society around you, your friends, your family, your environment have all told you that yours is not bad enough. And how that affects you mentally is so astounding. But yet we still have this tendency to to blame the woman, to excuse the male behavior. She was drunk. She was on a... um, a trip where they were fucking other people. She's a whore. She's done this. It's her fault, you know. Even after I slept with that guy, I honestly thought, you know, people are going to say, if I say that I was assaulted now slept with someone else, you know, a month later, who does that? What kind of girl gets assaulted and then they have sex with somebody else? Who, who does that? No one does that. You know, I thought that by being a victim of sexual assault, I was never allowed to have sex ever again. I wasn't allowed to enjoy sex. Sex had to be this, you know, this thing that I was revolted by and disgusted by because that's the notion that you get in your head. And if you have sex with somebody else, people are going to say, oh, well, then you must have been fucking lying about the last one because who who would do that? I wouldn't do that. You know, people have all these preconceived judgments of what a victim is supposed to look like or sound like or act like. And the fact of the matter is, is most people probably don't know that, you know, half of their friends have been assaulted because we don't talk about it. And I remember, you know, I 
shared this story with my parents who are both youth workers and I was terrified. They are the most accepting parents ever and, you know, they have been amazing throughout this whole process. But I was so scared that, you know, they would look at me and think, God, you're such an idiot. Like we told you how to be safe. We discussed this with you and you didn't listen to us and you got drunk. You put yourself there. What were you thinking? And of course their reaction was, and I'm lucky that their reaction was so much further from that. You know, they, they were so concerned and loving and accepting and they didn't feel as though they needed to help me. They just wanted to be there. And I think, you know, when you were talking about um, how your dad, his, his, um, you know, his reaction was, I'm going to kill him. You know, I, I just want to fucking kill him. And I, you know, my dad is quite like, he's a Greek man. So he's quite aggressive and like, he's got, you know, that real like male bravado about him. But his first reaction was to fill with tears and hug me. And I think I'll never, ever forget that because it was the first time since it had happened where I completely and utterly trusted a man to touch me and not feel revolted by it or internally revolted by it. He he gave me the biggest hug and I thought, how lucky am I to have a parent like that when so many women have no one to talk to and if they told their parents or told their friends or anyone in their life, their partner, they would be like, you're disgusting. Yeah. But I think and it's as well like you you have had a great <laughs> An, an yeah. experience of coming forward about what happened to you that is one side bad, one side really supportive. And I think mm. it's important that that doesn't take away from your experience, though. That needs yeah. to be a part of it, but that doesn't yeah. mean that your journey is any easier than anybody else's. No. And I think the, no. the, the absence of hardship you know, doesn't make the journey any fucking easier. And I think that's a hard thing because as women, we've been programmed to be empathetic. We support other people in any circumstance, you know, and I, this is crazy as well. The thought processes that I went through were, I had a period of time where I didn't think that what I went through was assault as well. You know, I was blaming myself. I didn't understand it. I couldn't comprehend it. Um, And it took me a really long time to come to terms with that too. And I think there were those things where I would always say this, somebody else's is so much worse than mine, Yeah, you know, and there always will be somebody that's worse than you. But at the end of the day, the, these things are traumatic and, and you know, what you've gone through is fucked up, but I'm so glad to hear that you had people around you that actually reacted properly. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And that's yeah. If you're a family member, if you're a friend, if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're a girl, gay, they, anyone, if you are somebody yeah. and somebody discloses to you that they have gone through a sexual assault, your reaction in that moment is very, very important. And your reaction needs to be loving, empathetic, caring, supportive. You need to make sure that they feel safe. You need to make sure that they feel heard. You need to make sure that you are there for them. Your reactions outside of that situation can very much be anger and frustration. You can go to another friend that also knows about the situation and go, I'm going to kill him. That's fine. Don't do it in front of the person because they don't want to fucking hear it. They want to kill them more than you do. Yeah. This is not about your feelings, you know, and something that I think it's a really great thing to learn from. These are the things that the community can do better. These are the things that can be the lessons learned out of our experiences as well. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, just on that, um, I actually did have, so I posted on Instagram maybe three months ago when all of this stuff came out about what's happening in parliament and Scott Morrison said, you know, it took my wife to explain it to me in a different way. And I just thought you're the leader of our fucking country. Not that I voted you in. And if I had my say, you wouldn't have had one second in parliament, but you know, the fact that you say it takes my wife to explain to me that rape and sexual assault is not okay, it just triggered something in me. And I got on Instagram and I shared, you know, that I'd been assaulted. And there's so many people on my Instagram that, of course, they don't know that. And I'm sure there's so many people on my Instagram that just flew past it, didn't even think about it, didn't listen to it. And that's fine. You don't have to. But I did have a um, person quite close to me who was an older male. Um, and he came up to me at a family dinner and said, um, 
he basically pulled me aside and said, you know, so I saw your Instagram post and what was all that about? Oh, I was raped. I was raped. And that's how he said it. And for me, that was the first time that I'd had somebody say that to me in a, in a setting that is, is not appropriate. We don't need to have that discussion at a restaurant, be in a space where I wasn't expecting to have this conversation because, you know, who, we don't talk about those things at restaurants yeah. and see from somebody who I would never have expected to, to broach it that way. And I, I know that this person didn't mean it the way that it came out. And I know that that person didn't, didn't mean for it to sound so insensitive, but it brought me right back to being 20 in that hotel room in Greece. And I just did not know what to say. I sort of just said, yeah. And, and they were like, oh, and then they sort of got uncomfortable and it was, oh, I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, well, it's not something that you just share at family dinner. And then he sort of went, oh yeah. Yeah. And then proceeded to kind of try and shrug it off. And he gave me a like very manly punch on the arm, like you'll be right sort of thing. And I just remember like getting in the car afterwards with my partner and just thinking, holy shit, did that just happen? Did we just have this conversation? Like, and I don't know if you wanted me to explain in great detail what happened to me. And I, you know, I I thought how, I mean, if people have daughters and things like that, and, you know, if if they came up and said that to you, is that that what you would say? Is that how you would react? Because if it is, fuck, I hope it never happens to them and I hope they never have to tell you that because it's it's not okay. No. And we still haven't had this conversation. I still haven't spoken to that person about it because I just, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to have that conversation because it's, it's it, it, it came from such a place where it didn't feel safe that now I don't feel safe enough to talk about it in detail with you because I, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if you believe me, if you trust that that was real. And I think you know, hopefully that person listens to this podcast and I don't want this bit edited out because, you know, if you, if you're hearing this, I just want you to know that, you know, it hurt me and I know you didn't mean it to, and I know that it didn't, it didn't come from a place of malice, but your reactions mean everything. And like I said, you took me back to a place that I didn't think that I would ever visit ever again. And it made me feel like shit. So yeah. Please, if you are listening to this, no, and anyone else, anyone else that discloses something like that to you, you just, you need to make sure that your first reaction is the best reaction because you can't take it back. Once you've said what you've said, you can't take it back and we remember it. I will remember that forever, whether I want to or not. Yeah. But- and I think this is why, you know, people are like, oh, why don't people come forward? It's because they're lying or it's because whatever. It's because of this. People don't come forward publicly. People don't press charges. You know, we've just talked about the gaslighting that the community does to us. We've just talked Mm. about, you know, the gaslighting that we do to ourselves. But then when you do actually come forward, the amount of people that second guess you, that mock you, that make Mm -hmm. fun of you, they might be few and far between, but they're still out there and they're not dressed up as monsters. They're family, they're friends. They are not, you know, people look around and they go, but it's not me. 
but you're actively not creating an actual loving, caring environment where people want to come forward about these things. So you are a part of the problem. And that's something that a lot of men specifically have found it really hard when I've called out. They go, but I'm not like that. But what are you doing to make this better place? What are you doing to make women feel more comfortable? What are you posting? What are you sharing? How are you actively helping us in any fucking way? You're not. So then you are a part of the problem because you do have friends that behave like that and you don't call them out. You do have things that happen around you and you do nothing about them. I'm not here to placate your feelings, right? No. And you're not doing anything about it. So I think that this is exactly right. But I don't think that this needs to be sugarcoated and I don't care whether there was malice involved or not. It's not acceptable. Mm. You know, if you care for somebody, even if, even if, you don't care for somebody. This is the basic human decency that we just, that we owe each other. And this is why Jacinda Ardern is so wonderful, so amazing, because she leads with fucking empathy and kindness. You can be a politician and not be a dick. Yeah. But you know what? She just doesn't have one. That's why she's so good. Exactly. (laughs) Can't be a dick if you don't have one. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Exactly right. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, I look at, strong female women in my life and and I have so many and I'm grateful and thankful for all of them because you know they've they've helped me so much in in you know claiming this story and and being authentically 110% who I am and I remember you know when you're younger you think if I stand out if I say anything if I go against the grain then they're going to pull it back on me and then they're going to pay me out and they're going to make me feel like shit and so you just sit idly by and let them do it to someone else but you know I I have never ever been the kind of person that keeps my mouth shut I'm not good at it I've always been shit at it and thank fuck because if it was going to happen to anyone and I've said this to you know some of my friends in a way like I am glad it happened to me because I've got the fucking vagina to deal with it I you know I'm that kind of person and I will never let that one thing that one crappy shitty awful disgusting thing determine the person that I'm going to be for the rest of my life yeah it's a part of it but I get to say who I am and what I do and I'm the one that gets to fucking consent to all of the things and even with my partner and this is something else that I think is so important you know consent everyone thinks oh well it doesn't happen between you know people if you're in a relationship like you don't rape your partner if you've been together forever and ever and ever like it's always consensual right but the thing is you know my partner and I we had to work out so many blurred lines because when I wasn't comfortable and I'm saying no you don't get to push me on that if you push me on that then you're doing exactly what he did and I think you know making me feel guilty when I don't want to and things like that it's it's it was such a learning curve for both of us because I think, you know, he's never dealt with anybody that's been assaulted and I've, you know, that was the only partner I've had since I was assaulted. So it was the only way we both had to navigate this and he's been amazing and he's so supportive and, you know, he's he even he though had this internalised bullshit that we all have of I'm a feminist, I love women, but then friends would say things or people would do things and I would be like, what the f- fuck like stand up you're my partner you know what I've been through say something do something and it took him a while obviously because he was young and learning too but now like 
he's such a force and I'm so proud that A, I have such a supportive person in my life, but B, that I have someone that I've taught. This is how you can be a good man. This is when you say you're a feminist, that's what a feminist looks like. It does not look like I stand idly by, I don't care if my friends say stupid things. The real kind of feminist is the one that supports the person standing next to them, male or female, and says, dude, fuck off, enough is enough. Like you can't say that. You're making me uncomfortable. You're making her uncomfortable. And, you know, I remember I was at a bar last year and this guy came up and grabbed my ass. And I turned around and I don't think I've ever done this, but it made me feel so good. I turned around, I punched him straight in the face. Right. And I thought, fuck you. If you want to assault me, then how does it feel to be assaulted right back? Like, How fucking dare you come up to me in a bar when I'm standing there minding my own fucking business and you think that you have the right to come up and touch me. So I punched him in the face and he was livid, livid, got dragged out by security, was screaming at me, calling me fucking slut, I'll kill you and all this stuff. And I just thought, see, that's the kind of man though. That's the kind of man that we say is okay. How many women have been brought? And that's it because everybody goes, it's not me. It's not me. But you know what? If it's happening often enough for it probably is you. And if it's not you, it's the person standing fucking next to you. So it's something that we need to address. It needs to be talked about. And, you know, what he did in that moment is indecent sexual touching. That carries a prison sentence, obviously, what you did. That's also assault. So, but apples for apples, you know, and I think at the end of the day, one thing that you should reflect on and be so proud of within yourself is your post-traumatic growth. I will never accept people that say, I'm glad that it happened to me. And I know that you're not saying that you're saying I'm dealing with it well because of who I am and what my personality is. I've had so many people say, you must be glad that it happened to you though, because you look what you've created from it. No, that's not an okay way to phrase it. I know what you mean, but it's not an okay way yeah. to phrase it. Yeah. I'm proud of you yeah, and happy that it happened. Like, yeah, no, but it's there and it's, oh my God, thank God that happened to me. I'm so great. Like, but you can yeah. be proud of yourself for your post-traumatic growth. Yeah. And these absolutely. are the things that I think are incredible in the face of absolute shit through trauma, through adversity, you've been able to show incredible strength, incredible resilience and incredible drive to be able to make something different and to grow from your trauma. And that's an incredible thing. It's not this happened and you survived. It's this happened, you survived and then you thrived. And that's on you. It's not on the perpetrator. Don't give that fucking cunt any more time in your mind than he deserves. He did nothing than assault you. He didn't bring this out of you. You always had this in you. And I, yeah. I hate, I just hate that because it's all of a sudden we give right point. the perpetrator the credit, the yeah. credit for it. Like I've worked my ass off to get where I am, but like, oh, thank you so much for doing this to me. Cause like you made me who I am. I don't think so, bitch. <laughs> I was always who I was going to be. You just maybe in You're some in the road. way accentuated all of that times a million because I have sat there you know, I've, I've even sat there so many times and thought, and I still do. And it's so like, it's so fucked up that women, we still feel like we have to be apologetic 
about these things. Like I still feel like sometimes I should be like, oh, where is my space in this room? And and maybe I should say sorry because I'm the loud mouth person and I'm not letting people get away with things. And then people like, oh, but you just can't let things go. Just let it go. Just, you know, why can't you just be that person that just sits there and says nothing and doesn't have to fight with everyone over everything? And I'm like, mm, I could be that person. But then if I am that person, I'm not doing myself any justice. I'm not doing the women in my life any justice. And I certainly, certainly am not protecting people like me from that happening to them. And, you know, this is this is what this is all about. You know, we are survivors and we band together because we want to protect other women and we want to give women that safe space and we want women to feel like they can get through it even when they feel like they can't. And, you know, I, I know so many women that have struggled and, and you know, have been depressed and, and have had so many mental health issues following their assaults. And, you know, I think we all do in some way and it comes out in different ways. And, you know, my anxiety was fucked through the roof after it happened. But, you know, I think it's it's the way that we deal with it. And a lot of us make the choice to, and if you don't, it's not a slant on you whatsoever. You know, you need to deal with things the way that you need to deal with them. But I think it's inspiring that so many women choose strength and we all choose to survive when, you know, these men are telling us that we shouldn't or that, we're not good enough or that, you know, your story is a load of shit. Absolutely. And we're telling the stories for those who don't feel comfortable doing it and for those that are no longer here to tell their stories. That's where our voices come in. That's where our Mm -hmm. privilege sits. Um, And that's something that we can do. And it is an incredible honour and a privilege to be able to be able to speak about these things and to have a, you know, to be able to to do these things. But I think, you know, you're, you're exactly right in so many ways. And I think that it all comes back to the environment that we foster and that we create. And I remember being younger, you know, when this all happened with me and, yeah. and you know, at 20, you are still so young, but you think that you're an adult. You think that you've got no oh. learning or growing to do. Yeah. And at that time, your friends group is the most important thing in your life. It is the most pivotal, most important thing in your life, more than any boyfriend ever would be. Your click is your click. Yeah. And yeah. I was the same. I've always been this woman. And that's why I don't have got a lot of people that dislike me. I'm okay with that because I stand up for people. You know, I, if I see somebody being mistreated, I stand up for them. If I see somebody being bullied, I stand up for them. I can't, I can't not. And if I see somebody being a dick, I'm going to yell at them and call them a fucking dick. And I have so many people that are just like, Oh, just don't listen to her. She's just a feminist. Just a feminist. Just a feminist. Well, I'll show you just a feminist. See how powerful just a feminist can be. Like, shut the fuck up. Yep. That's a compliment. Yeah, you're right. I am just a fucking feminist. <laughs> Thank Damn you. Right. Yeah. I think that's the incredible thing is that people are so happy and want you to be quiet because they don't want to create a ruckus. And I understand people yeah. don't like confrontation, but yeah. you know, put your nose up at people that do create confrontation because they are trying to do the right thing. You know, do it in a certain way, but I'm still going to call a spade a spade. And if you're fucking acting creepily, then that's it. Like to those people that said things like, you know, but you were very developed as a 14-year-old, you know. Um, Yeah. Like how's that got anything to do with it? If I I was flat-chested and didn't have a period, does that make it better? Yeah. Um, 
I think that that's what they call leakage. Um, a guy that I listen to all the time, Jim Clementi, uh, former FBI profiler, calls it leakage. So basically this is what their background is and this is their their thought processes and stuff that are just coming out. So they're kind of leaking out that they think that it's okay to have mm-hmm. sex with a minor if they look mm-hmm. more developed. I'm like, I think that we're dealing with some red flags here about what yeah. you think is acceptable. Absolutely. And that's, I, that was one of the other things, you know, uh, like after being assaulted and stuff, it was amazing to me how many people would, um, not, not about my story because I didn't really share much of it, to be honest. I, I never really have, but I think, you know, when you would hear things about other people and, and people would say, but, oh yeah, but it's a bit of a blurred line, isn't it? Like, is it really rape though? Or, you know, did that, do you think it really happened that way? And like, maybe that person just felt like that, but it wasn't like that. And you sort of think, and you're like, mm, how many situations have you been in then where you're not sure if you were the perpetrator in that situation? How many times do you think that you've done exactly what you're saying is a blurred line to make yourself feel better? Like, oh, it's a bit of a blurred line though. Yeah. Well, and how many situations, like, I just feel like exactly right. You're leaking out things and little bits of yourself because you don't want to admit that maybe you've done that to other yeah. women. Yeah. And what you were no saying before about, it. yeah, about consent, I learned a lot about, you know, consent through deep diving this recently and mm-hmm. through studying it for a very long period of time now. Um, through the Australian law, through, you know, each state has their own laws and they, they, um, the way that they are done is obviously different in each state. But yeah. something like sexual assault basically is rape. The different mm. states have different determinations of this. But basically, mm-hmm. if the, the, the rule of thumb is if you have, if you do not come to the decision of having sex of your own free will, it is not consent. Now, yeah. if that not consent is considered um, sexual assault, that's one thing, right? But let's say you've coerced somebody, please, babe, please, babe, you're pushing them, you're, mm. you're forcing them, you're making them feel guilty, so you're manipulating them, you're coercing them, you're pressuring them. If they then give in, that's not consent. The absence of yeah. fighting back is not, you know, yeah. that doesn't mean that it's consent. And it's okay. why I don't like the yes and no thing, you know, yes means yes, is that they think that <laughs> if I push until she says yes, then I've gained consent. But did he feel threatened, manipulated or coerced into doing this action? That's the question. And that's Hmm. where I always go back to. If there is even a minute question in your mind where you go, is she not enthusiastically consenting? Is he not enthusiastically? Are they? Is anybody that you are having sex with, one person, two people, ten people, in Hmm. any demographic in any way, is this person enthusiastically consenting? Are they absolutely 100% happy to be there? Did they come to the decision that they wanted to be in this act with me of their own free will? If the answer to any of those is no or I am not sure, then back the fuck up and ask some questions. And they can be sexy questions. Exactly. You don't have to make it like, do you want to have sex with me? You can fucking, you know, you can make this a sexual thing where you're both consenting. But I just... I I love that though, because that's the thing that I think comes with consent. Who the fuck has sex when they're not enthusiastic about it? I don't want to fuck someone if I'm not jumping for joy about the fact that I'm having sex with them. Like I should be pumped. Like we're having sex. This is amazing. If I'm even in the slightest bit being like, "Mm, 
maybe not, then as someone, as another human being, I mean, I think, you know, men say, oh, but I didn't pick up on that. But I think that you did. I think I think you did because I don't know how you can't. If someone's literally not jumping on you, ready to go, like, oh, my God, we're going to have sex, maybe be like maybe it's not okay. yeah she the, like really the absence of the enthusiasm is is what yeah. is key for me you know even Absolutely. the other night um before lockdown I had a guy over and we've slept together before um and yeah. we had a few drinks together and everything and I was just like look I'm just not in the mood and we cuddled all night but I even found myself in that moment I am an educator on sexual assault I talk about women's yeah. rights all the time and I'm a fucking out and out feminist that doesn't yeah. excuse me from feeling these things sometimes they're learned behaviors I yeah. felt guilty I felt guilty yeah. that I hadn't given him sex because Everybody he had come over and spent the night yeah. with me. Like he didn't come what here under the false pretense that that's what we were going to do. He came over for drinks. So, but you feel like there is that false pretense in that like you feel like it's almost an exchange. Like you're, you're coming over. So I feel like I need to thank you in some way. And by yeah. thanking you, I feel like that should be having sex with you. Well, it's and just what you're owed. You're a man. You've come over. You've hung out with me. That's the bare yeah. minimum of what I can give you. Yeah, Sorry. like that. I should give you my body and my free will because, like, you know, you're here. Like, I and and isn't it fucked? Because I know. I mean, I haven't had sex with anyone else in seven years, but I know when I was younger, I used to do that all the time. You'd feel guilty, like just going to someone's house and having a cuddle because it's like, oh, well. And you hear men all the time. This is, you know, such a. I've heard this comment a thousand times. Well, what did she think was going to happen? Why did she bother coming over if we weren't going to have sex? What a waste of my fucking time. And it's like, dude, do you hear your fucking self? Like, it's almost like you're saying that's my God-given right because I had her over. If she's not yeah. fucking me, then she's a waste of time. Literally. And I think it's, Look at how it's value patriarchy women. and, you know, people who are misogynists and don't think that they are. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, that's just sparked a memory in my mind. I, there was this guy after the, there was this guy that I went on a couple of dates with. We had Mm -hmm. a really cute first date. We kissed. It was amazing. And we came to my friend's house and we were like on a fold out couch or something. And he was like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to. And he was like, well, what did you think? what did you think I was coming over for? And I remember being like, oh, I'm, he's older than me. He's much better looking than me. He's very big. I didn't feel threatened. I felt like a fucking idiot. And I was yeah. like, oh, of course, this older man, um, he's explaining to me every, that wasn't fucking consent. I didn't yeah. want to, but I felt like I had to. I felt like he, he knew more than me. And I just, this is something I've just remembered now. And I actually yeah. still follow this guy on Instagram. He reached out to me recently and told me what a wonderful job I'm doing. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. And see, this is the thing. They don't even, I think a lot of men don't even realize because we don't have these discussions enough. And I think, you know, women in, in, I don't think it's a woman's job to explain it to you. Can I, I will be very clear about that. I do not think that it should be my job nor any other woman's job to explain it to you. But I do, however, think, unfortunately, the way that we have all grown up, men and women alike, that's, you know, we just have learned this this is what it is. This is what it looks like. And, and in order to be able to teach men, it's got to come from us. And, you know, it's shitty, but I don't care where the education comes from as long as it comes from fucking somewhere. And I yeah. think, you know, in terms of 
you know, trying to educate men, I think a lot of men think that, you know, the things that they do are okay because everyone does them. And, you know, we all have these discussions and I've had this discussion in front of a girl. So, and she didn't care. So I don't know why you do. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Maybe she didn't care. Maybe she did and she didn't want to say anything. But if I'm telling you that it bothers me and I'm telling you that what you did isn't okay, as a man, you need to look introspectively and go, mm, okay, maybe, maybe it wasn't then. Yep. What can I do to be better? How can I be better about it then next time? Absolutely. And that's just about being a fucking empathetic person. You know, um, yeah. you might, you know, I, I grew up with a, um, you know, a lot of friends who were gay. And I remember um, one of my friends was like, oh, I don't mind it when people that say that that's so gay. Um, and I was like, well, I have a gay friend and she doesn't mind it when I say this. And it's like, no, you're being disrespectful. And even if you did, you're close to her. You're not close to the other person. The rules don't apply the same. Like, and I had to look back on myself and go, I am so privileged that I'm even questioning this shit. And that was a learning curve. That was a learning opportunity. You took the time to learn that. I think that's the most important thing. You took time and you created a space in your life where you were able and to learn those things. And, you know, I think that's the most important thing. If you're not going to take the time to learn it, then you need to be aware that people will be calling you out consistently. If you don't want to change, this is not the world that you should be living in because I think especially last year and, you know, with the Me Too movement and all of this stuff that's coming out in the Australian Parliament. I mean, we all knew it was there. It's always been there. It's always been an issue. But I think this generation of women are so fucking inspiring and so cool and so about ownership. And, you know, I kind of wish, I'm I'm glad that I'm growing up in, you know, this generation and I kind of wish that I was, you know, a 14-year-old now because I think the way that 14-year-olds discuss this sort of stuff is so different to how we did. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to and I'm hopeful for the next generation of men because the women that bring them up, the women that, you know, will be in their lives will be having so much more authentic conversations around sexual assault than we ever did or were ever, you know, able to have. And, you know, things like this podcast and, you know, people like Jacinda Ardern, you know, and Michelle Obama, people that we look up to, people that are standing up to these things, people who have a huge platform. And even, um, you know, I think, and like I know that we were talking before about how, you know, one person's experience doesn't take away from another person's experience, but I also think it's really important, you know, to talk about like the LGBTQI a and like you know transgender women are obviously the most marginalized they're also the most at risk for sexual assault and rape and i think you know it's so important as a white woman and a white survivor to be inclusive of those people in these discussions because you know like i've got a lot of gay friends and they have helped me more than any of my straight hetero friends have because i think on some level they know what it's like to be on the outer of, of something and to be marginalized by something that you have no fucking control over. So I just want to say to all my like LGBTQIA friends, fucking love you and you're the best. And thanks for giving a girl the space to be safe. Absolutely. Girls, gays and they's. Um, we love you. Um, And I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, I'm in a privileged position and it's important for me to have intersectionality because, um, as my friend Alex said on our podcast the other day, if intersectionality isn't, um, 
if feminism isn't intersectional, then we don't want it. And I think yeah. that's exactly it. You know, yeah. we need to highlight the voices of the women of color in the room, of the trans women, yeah. um, of the trans men, yeah. of any of any other marginalized group that are not yeah. cis het white men. We need yeah. to amplify their voices. You know, and I read a thing the other day as well saying that black men, white gays, and uh, white women are only one step away from the privilege of a white man. Mm. And I think that we need to own the privilege that we also have in this world of growing up in a Western world, of growing up with access to food, with access to healthcare, with access to things and being white. I have a platform here and I can speak. You know, I'm Mm. not being, that's a privilege. So, yeah. I'm not it's being not muzzled because of where I come from. And, yeah. you know, there's so many countries where you would be killed for having this happen to you. So I think it's, you know, it's huge that we're able to have such free conversations. And even though we will be victimised and there will be people out there that still say to us, you're a fucking slut, you put yourself there, blah, 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 using these derogatory, disgusting words that I used as a teenager. I used to call girls sluts all the fucking time. I had no idea what it meant no idea about you know looking at people as people and not as you know this again it's all part of the patriarchy though because they pit women against women and that's why we always feel like we have to compare our stories and hers is worse mine's better blah 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 and I think you know I think it's just so important like that you're using your platform to give space to everyone and that it's not just about cis white women it's about you know being inclusive of all survivors and survivors come in every shape size gender color there is and you know I also think it's important to mention though that what happened to me what happened to you what happens to everyone no matter what color you are it doesn't take away from the experience because we're all or you know what what sexual orientation you are it doesn't take away from that experience of what happened to you because it's fucking disgusting no matter who you are but I think the environment that we spoke about that we experience is different to the environment anybody Absolutely. else of a further oppression than we are mm-hmm. experiences. And it's worth highlighting that. I want to work for that. I want to work with you. I want to work to create a world where this isn't as stigmatized as it is, where people are not blamed for this. And, you know, I think that's exactly right. Once this goes out and, you know, we post it, we post the yeah. podcast. There will be people that you and I both know that will share it with each other and go, what the fuck? They're going to mm. be people that make fun of it, but there are also going to be people that it's going to reach, that it's going to fucking help. Yeah. And that's the people that we're trying to reach. You know, Absolutely. if you are going to share it um, out of hate, can you tag me in it? Just because yeah. I want the algorithm, you know? <laughs> I want to know, sis. Let me know that you're talking about it. Like, I want to be on your mind 24-7, good or bad. So I don't give a fuck. That's exactly right. But that's right. the thing I think I've made, you know, I've made peace with the fact that not everyone's going to believe me. Not everyone's going to, you know, not everyone's going to think that what I'm saying is true. And maybe the women that were on this trip with me might remember it very differently. Maybe they might turn around. And that was definitely a fear of mine coming on here. You know, what if they all turn around and go, the fuck is she talking about? That didn't happen. Like, you know, it was because there's still that, that internalized thing of maybe I did make it the fuck up. Like I still every now and then think, Hey, did this really happen to me? Like, Am I supposed to be more affected by what happened to me? And, you know, it's been seven years now, but like is seven years not long enough for you to be able to process things? And then I think about 
you know, what's happened to some of the women in my life who are much older than me, who are, you know, 55, 60, who have talked to me about their experiences. And I think, no, no, that's bullshit because they are able to live these fantastic, extraordinary lives and still, you know, have children and have, if that's what you want and, you know, get married and have long-term partners and, you know, what happened to them didn't write the history book for everything that happens in their life. It was one experience, but they're not able to not let go of it as such, but to have it be something that didn't control the rest of their life. And, you know, I think that that stupid preconceived notion of what a survivor looks like needs to fuck off. That's my biggest thing. Like I am done pretending that, you know, we are supposed to look one way and the way that we behave after it happens should only look like this. It should look like I'm sad and fucked up and depressed and, you know, it it can, absolutely it fucking can because it's huge and traumatic but it doesn't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Every experience is different. And yeah, that was the biggest thing for me, I think. And listening to your podcast, listening to all these women talk about these different experiences and they're all so different. Like not one has been the same or alike or similar. And, you know, I think for me that was huge because I kind of always assumed in my mind still that maybe rape still or assault still just looks like this. But there are so many different, you know, different spectrums of fucking assault and rape. And, you know, I think it's cool that that women are like slowly coming out of the woodwork and feeling like they can share these stories. And, you know, if you don't, I also just wanted to say this, if you don't feel like you can't, please don't think that you're anything less than that because it takes a long fucking time and it may, you may never want to. And that's okay. You don't have to, no pressure. And what we want out of this can be different for everybody. Some people want um, a conviction. Some people want to prosecute. Some people want to just go to therapy and tell their therapist and not lie. You know, I lied to my therapist. I lied to the people around me and I did for so long. And that's where I think the hard part about coming to terms with the actual story can be like, I've gaslit myself so much and I've told so many lies, you know, and I was worried about saying that with my story, to be honest as well, because after my assault, there was only one friend that I had that I was truly honest with. Everyone else, I was putting on this facade of being like, oh, I'm going to try and get victims of crime compensation. I said that. I was like, I'm going to try and look more emo than I am because I want to try and look like this. I was literally dying inside, but I was trying to put on this facade that I was powerful. I was in control. I was fine. Mm -hmm. But when when that person left and I was on my own, I was just sitting there crying. Like, and I think it's just important, you know, and if what you want out of it is to connect with other survivors, then reach out. Um, if people want yeah. to connect with you, how can they connect with you? Look, honestly, I'm a pretty open book. So like, you know, if you've got me on Instagram, shoot, shoot me a DM, you know, if you're feeling like shit, if you're having a day, let me know. Like I'm on Facebook as well. It's Zoe Zog. If you ever want to, you know, reach out, you can come and chat to me. I think as well, you know, just please, I hope that women out there, you know, you find that person, one person, even if it's just one, even if it's your therapist, to tell your story to and and to feel safe enough to be able to discuss that with. And if you don't, I'm one of those people. I will never, ever judge you. 
I will never, ever make you feel like, you know, it's not true or a lesser than. So, you know, you can come and talk to me. There are also so many groups to reach out to. Centre of Sexual Assault was amazing. I will say that. The counsellor there was fantastic. She was so knowledgeable and she made me feel so safe. And I didn't even really discuss with her what had happened until like my eighth session. So, you can go in there and talk about whatever the fuck you want. Like it doesn't have to be about that. And yeah, just, I know that sometimes it feels like the world's against you and maybe it feels a little bit like nobody cares or nobody's hearing you or listening to you, but we are like people like you and people like me, we're here, like we're, we're open and we want to hear it. And if you want to discuss it, it, it's there to be discussed. And, you know, we love you. That I think that's the biggest thing. I fucking love women. I love all women, survivor or not. But, you know, we are here and I want to help if I can in any way. Absolutely. And that's so well said. And um, I do have the Survivor Support Network as a Facebook group. So if you'd like to join, please um, go to Survivor Support Network on Facebook or follow the link tree from the Reclaim Me podcast uh, Instagram page or from the Mad Heat underscore Instagram page as well. So you do have a community out there. There are a few really cool things coming as well. So um, stay tuned. There will be some activities. There's going to be some really amazing stuff. So on the Survivor Support Network, we're going to do um, walks if you're in the local area. We're going to do a trivia night coming up. Um, There's just some Survivor group chat hangs where you can just meet other people and have a chit chat. It's not about... You don't have to share if you don't want, but you can if you want. So I definitely recommend to come and join some amazing and incredible women and and have some fun, you know. It doesn't all have to be depressing and doom and gloom and and clinical kind of setting. So that's what I want to create. No, absolutely, and I love that. I think, like, you know, you're doing an amazing job and, like, it's so it feels so cathartic even, like, doesn't feel like closure, but it just feels like another chapter that I get to let go of a little bit. And um, yeah, I guess like I wrote this thing on my phone and I hope you don't mind if I share, but I just wanted to say difficult roads can lead to beautiful situations. And in the end, I just had to trust myself, trust myself to know that I didn't make it up, that it happened to me and that I had to keep going so that I could pave the way for women like me to trust themselves too. So Please keep trusting because that's the most important thing. You know what happened. You know your story. No one gets to take that away from you. I think that's the perfect way to end. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for being so open and thank you for sharing your story. So for now, this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.